0: Well, good, morning. good morning, please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21 in that chapter this morning as our text for the message. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 20 and 21, and if you would go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 3 a little bit later on in the message, we're going to look at a passage there as a cross-reference, So that would be sec- or, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to simply state from the outset of the message this morning the foundational principle behind the passage that we're going to look at, and that's something that you already know to be true, and that is that every Christian is called to a life of service. Repeatedly in Scripture, God calls His people as a whole and as individuals to, to serve Him, And what that means, of course, is that we ought to have a a desire to serve Him, even a passion. And we ought to consider um, the call to service not a, a duty. I mean, it is a duty, but not just a duty, but a privilege. Um, Psalm 102, uh, 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. So it really ought to be a desire and a passion of ours to serve the Lord, and we should do so with, with gladness. Now, our text this morning is going to instruct us regarding um, the or a prerequisite for rendering acceptable, useful service to the Lord, and that is, and we'll flesh this out, but it's that we must be cleansed from sin. Um, we saw this earlier in our scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 6, where God purges Isaiah or cleanses him uh, uh, to render him fit for service, and then he's sent forth as, as a prophet. Well, about uh, seven centuries later, the apostle Paul addressed that subject of being cleansed in order to render useful service to the Lord. There in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, let's go ahead and read that Paul wrote but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some for honor and some for dishonor therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work let us pray Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being together today to fellowship and to worship you, to offer up our prayers and our praise. And as we come now to the proclamation of the Word, we pray that your Holy Spirit, who inspired Paul to write these words, would open up our hearts and minds and help us to understand the teaching and to apply it to our lives. We pray that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word. To your glory, Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's consider this morning the topic of being useful to the master. Um, I... I really like when uh, we uh, get into passages when i 'm called upon to teach or preach from a passage where the scripture writer himself provides the illustration for the point that he 's going to be that he 's going to make, and here we have one of those passages where the Word of God itself has the illustration of the point to be made. Um, Paul wrote, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay and so forth so we 've got the picture of a house, and let me talk about the house in just a moment and skip right to the vessels. Uh, the Greek word that is translated vessel can mean all kinds of implements and utensils, but the idea here is probably primarily containers. That's how we would generally use the word vessel, at least in that in that context. And so you've got various containers, uh, jars, pails, pots, cups, pitchers, urns, bowls, and the like. And if you think about it, just about any house is going to have a lot of vessels in it. Um, think about your own house for just a moment. Think of how many vessels how many containers you've got in your house. Um, if you've got a garage, you go out there and you probably have a bucket to use when you wash your car, and you'll have metal cans to hold gasoline and fluids and other chemicals. Um, you go inside and you go to the bathroom, you'll have uh, bottles for shampoos and, uh, and cosmetics and cleansers and medicine. Uh, then when you get to the kitchen, you've got a, a lot of different types of vessels. Um, you've got a jug for milk. You've got pitchers for water, tea, lemonade, whatever it is that you drink. You've got jars that hold pickles and olives and condiments. And you probably have plastic Tupperware-like containers that hold flour and Sugar and other things and, and then you 've got pots and pans for cooking and you 've got cups and mugs and glasses uh, to, to hold to hold drink to hold liquid, bowls and plates to serve food so um, you have a variety of vessels in your home and, and they're, they're, they have a lot of different uses and made of a lot of different materials uh, glass metal plastic. Um, Paper products, you may even have some fine china. So um, there are a lot of vessels in even the average home. But Paul here is talking about a great house. He specifically says this is a great house. The Greek word is megas, that's where we get that word mega. Well, that's kind of been imported right into the English language so mega, something large. So the idea here is this large and splendid home. Um, It's a a mansion, or he may have even uh, a palace in mind. So you have the home of a a very wealthy man, or maybe even royalty, a king or a prince. And he points out that in this great house, there are going to be a variety of vessels. And he first talks about the material, uh, what they're made of. He says, there will be vessels of gold and silver Precious metals. Um, There's going to be silver pitchers and silver bowls and maybe a set of golden goblets, um, the high end things there. Um, He says, but also there will be vessels of wood and clay. Now, the word that is translated but, but also wood and clay is meant to convey contrast. So you've got gold and silver vessels, but then you have wood and clay. So you've got uh, wooden vessels. uh, Uh, Maybe uh, something that was bored out to make a bowl or or something. Of course, they could take boards and make make barrels. I don't know if those barrels that we think about go back that far or not. Maybe they do. Um, And then you have vessels of clay, which would be pottery earthenware, stuff that uh, things that are a lot of that. We know that archaeologists are constantly digging up uh, shards and broken pieces of of pottery. There was a lot of that in those days and even in in these days. So the gold and the silver vessels were considerably more valuable than the vessels of wood and earth. And then Paul goes on to say that there are some to honor And some to dishonor. Now that Greek word that is translated honor, it means basically a value. Uh, So sometimes in Scripture it is translated price, and sometimes it's it's translated honor. Like Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, among his own people, a prophet is not generally honored or 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 valued. Um, It seems that what Paul is doing is equating the gold and silver vessels. with with those to honor, and the wood and clay vessels, he is corresponding to those of of dishonor. So he provides the illustration, and by the way, that's point number one, the illustration. He provides the illustration of what he is uh, is seeking to teach Timothy, and by extension, all of us. So now let's kind of transition into the meaning here, and still going to talk a little bit about the illustration, some points of it, but uh, the question would be, what are these various vessels picturing? Okay, and we will we'll Hopefully, answer that a little more specifically. But let me say from the outset that um, it's not exactly clear. Some of these things are not exactly clear. There's some. There are some uh, equally good interpretations. I think the main point of this passage is going to be abundantly clear. But some of the some of the specifics, there might be a little a little bit of room for uh, from some, for some various interpretations here. But uh, if we're talking about... if, If gold and silver is to be equated with honor... Um, something valuable, and, and wood and clay with dishonor, then we are talking about the material. If, if, if uh, the, the material is in mind here, we're talking about the value of it. Again, gold is more valuable than wood and clay, and silver is more valuable than wood and clay. We can walk right out this building, and we've got plenty of dirt and plenty of trees, right? Um, you probably won't find any gold or silver. Okay, um, it's it's rare. So you've got a contrast in the value of the material in your own, in your own home. If you've got fine china, your fine china is worth a lot more than your paper plates. So there's a contrast in the value of the material. Um, something else to be considered would be the, would be the purpose. Okay. There's some who see in honor and dishonor a a, a a sort of a picture of the of what they're used for. So you've got some things that would be used as a drinking glass, and some things that might u- be used uh, to carry out human waste or or trash or something like that. Honorable and dishonorable honorable use. Uh, you know, a cooking pot versus a garbage can. But then another consideration would be the condition of of the vessel. Is it is it usable or useful at at any given time? Um, you could You could have a golden goblet, a golden jewel encrusted goblet made by the finest artisan in the land, but if it's dirty, it's not fit to drink out of until it's, until it's cleaned, until it's washed, okay? That's why we, we wash at the end of the day so that uh, our utensils and our vessels will be usable. If that's what's in view here, uh, it, it, it would seem to be bolstered by other places, uh, other places in Scripture that use that that Greek word time, which is uh, translated honor here. Uh, for example, in Romans chapter 126, it said, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, and it talks about sexual perversion. Vile the same word that is translated dishonor here. So... Um, We've got those three things to consider. Um, So keep those in mind as we talk more about this great house. Um, It is almost without question that Paul has in mind the church. And most likely, he has in mind the the visible professing church, so we all know there 's the if you will that the true church that 's made up of genuine believers, all the regenerate of all the ages, but then you have the visible professing church, okay today we are a visible professing church, uh, other churches around are, the, are are visible professing churches, and you could even maybe talk about us collect collectively. Um, the New Testament uses several pictures of the church. It's represented by several different things. Uh, For example, we're the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are his flock. Um, The vine and the branches. Jesus said he's the vine and we are the branches of the vine. Um, The church is, is represented as the body of Christ. He is the head and we are the various members. Well, another picture of the church in the New Testament is is as a house, the house of God. And Paul's previous letter to Timothy in chapter three, fifteen, he says, but if I am delayed, I write unto you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So he refers to, to the church as the house of the living God. And that's the picture that we have here. And Jesus is the head of that church. In Hebrews chapter three, verse six, it says, "But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house." We are. So you've got this house, this great house, which is the visible professing church, and Christ is the master. He's the Lord of, of the, the house. So that this great house has all these various vessels. And the question is um, we know the vessels are people. We're talking about people, not literal containers. So what kind of people is Paul talking about? And here's where we get into an interpretive difference. Um, Are we talking about both saved and unsaved people in the visible professing church? Or are we talking about just strictly saved saved people, but who are in various spiritual conditions. Um, You can find both those opinions among men, teachers that we all respect. For example, you can find a a sermon by Charles Spurgeon where he said, absolutely, those who are wood and clay and vessels of dishonor are unsaved people who are in the church. Um, You pick up John MacArthur's commentary on 2 Timothy, and 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 he says, We're talking about saved people, and some saved people are like wood and clay and vessels to dishonor, and some saved people are like gold and silver and vessels to honor. So which is it? Well, uh, I'm not trying to sit the fence here, but I think that there's room for seeing both of those here. Um, I I, I don't presume to know exactly what Paul meant. Um, It it may be that he meant one or the other, but I, I can tell you this confidently, the Scripture teaches it's both true. That in any visible church, any visible professing church, any church in the land, you will find people who are members of the church but who aren't really saved. And you will also find people who are really saved who aren't really living for Christ at the time. So I think it's, it's, both, uh, it's, it's both there. Um, Dr. John Gill wrote, in his commentary, there are others in a visible church state who are like to dry wood, destitute of the grace of God, and are fit matter for Satan to work upon, and by them raise up and increase the flames of contention and division, and will be fit fuel for everlasting burnings. And there are others who are sensual and carnal and worldly, who mind earth and earthly things and have no spirituality nor spiritual mindedness in them. So I'm going to approach this from the standpoint that both of these groups are in So, so you have the the great house, the visible professing church, and within the visible professing church, you do have some unbelievers. Um, That should not surprise us. We think about the parable of the the uh, the wheat and the tares in the gospel. Uh, There are those that uh, they profess to be Christians. They may look like Christians, but they really aren't. Um, You and I hold to a theology of what's called regenerate church membership. And what that means is that we believe that only regenerate people should be admitted into church membership, meaning saved people. Now, because we can't see into someone's heart, um, we will examine them. You know, do they profess faith in Christ? And to the best of our ability to, 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 to see and evaluate, are, do they seem to have a life that's consistent with that testimony? and then we admit them to to the church. Um, But we all know that there are times that that we are allowing false professors into the church, those who are not genuinely saved. Um, Some of them may intentionally seek to deceive us, and they they profess that they know Christ as Savior, uh, but they really don't. Um, But there are others who, who can be... Just self-deceived. They really do believe that they have placed their faith in Christ, um, but they've deceived themselves. In the church I um, served in southwest Georgia years ago, we had this this couple that joined the church, middle-aged couple, uh, wonderful folks. And they were there a few years, and then they moved away. And then several years later, they came back to the area to visit family. And you know, they, they, of course, came back to their old church home and, uh, and visited in the in the worship service. We were all glad to see them. And as they left at the end of the service, um, um, the lady said, my husband has something to tell you. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, I just recently got saved with a smile on his face. And I was kind of taken aback because I I thought he already was saved when we admitted them into the membership of the church but um, apparently he had not really been saved. Um, and I don't think he was being deceptive when he joined our church originally, but something happened later on, and he, he became convinced, I'm not really saved, and I need to get saved. So um, that's a good thing. That had a happy ending there. But uh, there is a, there's a, a case where we brought into the membership of the church, the visible professing church, a man who, in retrospect, was not saved. So that that kind of thing does happen. Now Charles Spurgeon in in the sermon I referred to, he makes the point that that even when you do have unsaved church members, to a certain extent God can use them, okay? They might give to the church, church benefits from that. They might... uh, you know, repair something here, do something good here now it 's not to their credit because they 're not doing it for the right reasons because they 're not they are not standing in a right relationship with God, but God can use anybody. God used Pharaoh and God used Judas for the uh, some extreme examples um, but but we do have unbelievers that for somehow or another do end up in in church bodies what 's really bad is when that unbeliever has 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 entered deceitfully and is a false teacher. That is one of the backdrops of Paul's epistles to Timothy. In fact, we won't take time to read it, but in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, Remember, I left you in Ephesus so that you might oppose and stamp out false doctrine." That was one of the main reasons that, that Paul sent Timothy back to the church of Ephesus was because false teachers were, were rising up and misleading the people. And if you go in 2 Timothy chapter 2, go up a few verses to verse 15. Let's read verses 15 through 18. We're going to keep all this in context. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, or rightly interpreting it and rightly presenting it. Verse 16, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overthrow the faith of of some. So there were false teachers right there in Ephesus, right then. Paul names them by name, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And so they are absolutely vessels of wood and clay, vessels to dishonor because they're spreading false doctrine. 2 Peter two one that apostle, apostle Peter, uh, warned his folks, but there were also false prophets among the people, the people of Israel, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So the, 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 the idea here is you, you are forewarned. You need, to be, you need to be on the alert here. You need to beware because there will be false teachers in the church who bring in these destructible, damnable heresies. And Paul said of Hymenaeus and Philetus, their their teaching is spreading like a cancer. Cancer is deadly to a body. False teaching is deadly to a a church. So I think definitely we know know there are false professors in the the church. Paul probably has them in mind or at least includes them. But also we know this because we know it from our own experience There are also at any given time genuine children of God in a local church who are backslidden and who are not living faithfully. They are are living in in an unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And so in so doing, they are acting like vessels of wood and clay and vessels of dishonor. Um, Some true believers, because of ongoing unrepentant sin, or significant doctrinal error are not useful to the Lord or not as useful as they could be or should be. Now keep your place in 2nd Timothy and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This passage is similar, although please understand the illustrations a little bit different here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 through 15. Paul talks about how we're God's building in this passage as well, although here we're the building material, not the vessels, but there are some similarities to Second Timothy two twenty and 21. Starting in verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, that's the day when Christ returns, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Okay? So Christ will come back and he is going to test our work, the, the uh the the service that we supposedly did on his behalf, and it and it is compared to the testing of fire. Verse fourteen if anyone's work which he has built on built on it endures. He will receive a reward, okay? Gold and silver are not destroyed by fire. They are refined by fire. They stand the test, right? Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, that work which is wood, hay, and stubble, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Okay, so we're talking about a a truly saved man, but his works didn't amount to much. It was wood, hay, and stubble or straw. And when the fire of testing came, it was just all burnt up. And he's saved because we're saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not our own, but he's left empty-handed before God. So we see there in that passage, and again, there's some reference to the material, although the illustration is a little bit different, but we see that uh, a Christian can end up producing wood, hay, and stubble in life, and it's just burned up at the end even though he himself is saved. So, yes, uh, at any given time, there can be that type of genuine Christian in the, in, in the church. All right, well, let's go on to point number three. We had the illustration, and number two is the meaning. I think I forgot to say that. You had number one, the illustration, number two, the meaning. And now let's go on to number three, and let's just call this the principle. We could all call it the application or call it the principle. What is it that you and I are to take out of this passage? Okay. Uh, regardless of the, the different fine shades of meaning that there might, might be attached to the, uh, the various vessels there. What is the point? Well, look at the verse again. We'll be in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So Paul's point is that each believer ought to seek to be this, a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, and prepared unto every good work. Each one of us is called upon to do that. Now Timothy was an associate of the apostle, he was a pastor, but regardless of your place in the kingdom, you are called upon to be a vessel unto honor, to be useful for the master. So a vessel of honor, honor. remember the idea being a valuing here. Now, now let, me, let me say a couple things that this is not. This does not refer to the value of the individual person, the human being. We know that every human being is made in the image of God. And we know for Christians, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are purchased. The Bible says we're bought with a price. Okay, uh, we are we are of value to God. He makes us valuable, and so we're not talking about one person being more valuable than another person. Okay, we talk about uh, we say we believe in the sanctity of human life. Okay, We believe that every human life is equally valuable. So we're not talking about the value of the individual person. We're also not talking about the value of the individual in light of their particular ministry. Okay, you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 where Paul teaches a lot about the spiritual gifts and the different callings that we have. And Paul makes the point that the Holy Spirit sovereignly chooses what gifts to give to individual believers. And each one of them are valuable and necessary in the church. Um, Some of them are foreground, some of them are background, but they are all valuable and they are all necessary. So we are not talking here about, well, one is a vessel, to dishonor because they don't really do a whole lot in the church and don't have a real high profile position. But the, the one who does have a high profile position, oh, he or she's really valuable. No, that, it's not that at all. We're not talking about the, the value of the individual person or the value of the person in light of their calling. Um, we're referring to the service that's offered or the condition of the vessel who is proposing to offer service to the master of, of the, the house. So, we want to be pleasing to the Lord, we want to offer up useful service and acceptable service to God. So how do we do that? Well, he says there at the beginning of verse 21, we must cleanse ourselves. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself um, from the latter. Now, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the translation here. Literally in the Greek, it says, therefore, if any man cleanses himself from these it's just a generic word, these. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these, that's what it says, um, that's actually reflected in the King James Version, which is a faithful translation of this particular this particular verse. Uh, the new King James says, the latter uh, tra- other translators will supply words to complete what they think is the thought of uh, uh, Paul's thought. So the new King James says, "cleanse himself from the latter." Um, if you're using the ESV, it says, cleanse himself from what is dishonorable. If you're using the New American Standard, it says, cleanse himself from these and uh, these things, excuse me, from these things, and things is in italics to show that it was supplied and is not in the original. So uh, so what, what is what is Paul saying that we must be cleansed from if we are to become a vessel to, unto honor and useful to the master. Well, I, probably all those things are in mind here. Um, certainly the idea of the latter, that's the closest thing in proximity, so cleansing himself from vessels of dishonor would be cleansing ourselves from the evil influence of dishonorable vessels. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 1533 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Or the ESV says good morals. Evil company corrupts good habits or morals. So you and I have got to be careful about our associations. Um, if, if, if we choose to have a close friendship or relationship with somebody who is ungodly, um, that's going to tend to rub off on us. And by the way, with this being in view, we also need to say there are provisions in Scripture to where such a person, uh, if they do not repent, need to be put out of the church. Okay, That's not what Paul's dealing with here, but he's talking about personally. We need to be careful of our associations. There are people in the visible church who are living dishonorably or in wickedness, and so as the New King James says, cleanse yourself from the latter. Cleanse yourselves from those type of, type of people, and especially, Especially the influence of false teachers. Especially the influence of false teachers. And again it would seem like at the very least Paul is warning Timothy about uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus cleanse yourself from them don't associate with them um you, you need to uh, you need to oppose them don't let them rub off on you you need to study to show yourself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth unlike th- those two who are not rightly dividing the word of truth and are like a cancer in the body of Christ Folks, false teaching is a spiritual cancer. And we need to be very, very careful that we are not led astray by... By, by false teaching. And by the way, just because a, a, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or a pastor um, might now and then teach something that's wrong, none of us know at all, doesn't make him a false teacher. We're talking about people who, who are, 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 are intentionally deceptive. We need to look at the fruit of their lives. We need to listen to what they say and compare it to Scripture. And that will help us to be able to, to spot a false teacher and say, no, I'm not going to listen. And not going to listen. So we cleanse ourselves from false teaching and the impact of false teaching. We need to understand to accept false doctrine hinders our service to the Lord. Again, Paul says it's like a cancer. It's destructive to the body of Christ, and it's destructive to to us. So we need to cleanse ourselves from evil doctrine, but also evil practice. The ESV says, the man cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. From what is dishonorable. So what makes some vessels, vessels to dishonor? Well, persisting in known sin. Persisting in known sin. Um, Go back up and look at verse 19. And again, Paul has just followed that section about false teachers. Verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, even though there are false Christians and false teachers in the visible church, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his. Make no mistake, God knows who's the real thing and who's a fake. God knows. And there's a great comfort in knowing that the Lord knows those that are his. But that solid foundation includes this, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So you're a professing Christian, you take the name of Christ, well, depart iniquity. Depart iniquity. Cleanse yourself from iniquity. And then drop down to the verse after our passages. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So this section here about cleansing yourself from these is sandwiched by passages on sin and iniquity. And so we can safely conclude that 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 is included on the things that we need to cleanse ourselves from. Again, going back to uh, Romans one twenty six. I gave you an example where the word that is translated dishonor here is translated vile there because it's describing vile sins. So we need to cleanse ourselves. We need to, 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 uh, to recognize that we need to be cleansed from sin. We're called upon to be holy. Uh, the seraphim cried holy, 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 and Isaiah was so overcome by that all he could see was his own sin and God symbolically cleansed him from that and then fitted him uh, for service. So we need to understand we're saved to serve. God didn't save us just to get us to heaven. He saves us to serve him, to glorify him by, by serving him, by serving him in the ways that all of us are called upon to serve, but to serve also in the individual ministries, the individual specific callings that he has placed on our our lives. And we need to understand we are not going to be able to render Useful, acceptable service to him if we persist in sin because we're polluting the vessel. Uh, I imagine if I asked for a show of hands that many of you, if not most of you, would say that you have a favorite mug. You know, if you drink coffee or hot tea, you probably have a favorite mug. Well, I have a favorite mug, and I use it every morning. Um, I set up my coffee before I go to bed at night with a timer. I get up, and I open up the cabinet, and I pick pick up my favorite mug. It's a big mug, holds lots of coffee, and I use it every day. But on the rare occasion when I get up and for whatever reason the family wasn't able to wash dishes the night before, if it's sitting in the sink with all the dirty dishes with junk on it and all, guess what? I'm not going to use it. I'm going to go get another mug that's clean. Because even though that's my favorite mug, it is not useful at the time. It's like, ugh, yuck, I'm not going to use it. Let's let's go back to Paul's illustration. And, and forgive me, I don't want to be indelicate here, but if you have the master of this great house in the illustration, the wealthy man, the king that has this, has this has this, this mansion, this palace, and his servants come in one day and try to serve him food out of a container that's used to carry human waste out of the house. What's his reaction going to be? He has been grossly dishonored by his servants. He is going to rebuke them for having having the gall to try to serve him out of something that is made for dishonorable use. He expects to be served with his gold and silver vessels and that they will be clean. So, again, I don't mean to be indelicate, but think of how revolted you would be if somebody tried to serve you food in something that was meant to take waste or garbage out of the home. God is not pleased if we offer up service in such a state. Now, does He still love us? Of course. Just like I still love my coffee mug, but I'm not going to use it if it's dirty. It's going to need to be cleansed before I'm going to put my mouth to it and drink, drink coffee out of it. So at any given time, a believer may not be useful because of sin. So if I persist in sin, and I'm not coming to grips with it, I'm not dealing with it biblically, rather this sin is doctrinal, or practical, or, or both. And by the way, false doctrine does eventually lead to false practice. You can, you can write it down, uh, mark it down. But if I'm persisting in sin, I'm going to limit my usefulness to God. Um, I might even, I might even uh, render myself completely useless. Okay. God will eventually deal with me on that, of course. He will bring a true child back to him. He will discipline him. But I have, in effect, become a vessel of, of dishonor. So I've got to seek cleansing. And if I seek cleansing, if, I'm, if I if I seek cleansing... And by the way, we don't cleanse ourselves, of course. God cleanses us. We repent and he washes us. Go to Psalm 51 where David, a true child of God, sinned and said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Um, God is the one who who actually does the cleansing. So we go to him for cleansing. So when I, 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 I seek cleansing, when I come to him with true repentance and godly sorrow, he cleanses me and now I'm a vessel unto honor, right? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor okay and then paul says he'll be sanctified that means he'll be, he'll be made holy, purified. It's an interesting little parallel here. Remember that the tabernacle and the temple had vessels, and they were made out of precious, precious metals, gold and silver and so forth. Well, so they're, they're made out of precious metal, but they also had to be ceremonially cleaned and sanctified to be used in the temple. Um, in Leviticus chapter 8, where it was talking about the anointing oil, and Moses, and he sprinkled thereof upon the altar several, seven times and anointed the altar and all his vessels, the vessels of the altar, both a laver and his foot, to sanctify them. There was a process, a ceremony that they had to go through to make those vessels in the temple ceremonially clean. Well, you and I are the temple of God, the house of God. We must be cleansed in order to be used. And then he says, useful for the master. Just kind of pulled that out for the title of the message, useful for the master. So fit, appropriate, only a holy vessel is fit for the use of By a holy God. Uh, The word master here, it's an interesting word in Greek, it's despotes, it's where we get the word despot. Uh, We use that kind of in a negative sense to refer to a dictator or a totalitarian, a despot. Um, But it's not a bad word. Um, Vine's Expository Dictionary said, one who has absolute ownership and uncontrolled power, thank God he is the one who has uncontrolled power. Absolute ownership, uncontrolled power, that's the master of the house. He owns us. He owns us, and so we ought to be absolutely concerned about being fit vessels for him, useful for him, being clean. And then he says there at the end, prepared for every good work. So we have four things. We'll be a vessel to honor, we'll be sanctified, we'll be useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. And uh, we know we are saved to do good works, to glorify God by good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved that we might do good works. Familiar passage, Ephesians 2 8 and 10, 8 through 10. For by grace, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation is, is holy by God's grace, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, His work, not ours. But then he says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship. Christ did the work to save us, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are not saved by good works, but we are saved that we might do good works and bring glory to God through our good works. So if we are cleansed, if we are purged, if we are pure, then we are usable, And by the way, well, not by the way, on the main point, I meant to say earlier, folks, we're not talking about perfection. You and I will never be perfect in this life. Now, God one day will perfect us when Christ comes back. Uh, Now it's about direction, okay? We deal with sin as God makes it known to us. And then by his grace, we get a hold of that or get get victory over that. He goes on to the next one. It's a continual cleansing. That's what the Bible calls sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Okay, what we're talking about is I need to be cleansed from things that I recognize as sin, whether doctrine or practice. And on addition, in addition, that I need to be growing in my knowledge of Scripture so that I'll be increasingly able to identify false doctrine and sin. So we're not talking about perfection, uh, but direction. But uh, when we are cleansed, we are prepared for every good work. We're like that cup that was dirty, but we washed it and we put it on the shelf, and now it's ready to be used whenever we need it next. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to sit around and of course. I don't mean we're supposed to be inactive. Um, but we do need to be clean so that when an opportunity comes to do a good work or serve God this way or that way, that we are prepared. We're prepared because we're seeking by His grace to be, to be pure. So the master of the house, He created us. He redeemed us, He saved us, He owns us, He calls on us to serve Him. He intends to use us. And so it's our duty to keep ourselves usable by His grace, keep ourselves usable. And and to do so out of a motivation of wanting to glorify Him and out of love for Him because of what He's done for us um, and out of thankfulness for what He's done for us. Again, we need to serve with gladness. It's a privilege. It is a duty, but it's a whole lot more than a duty. It's a privilege to serve the one who laid down His life for us. And then finally, going back to this sad fact that there are there are indeed church members. uh, They've been brought into the membership of a local visible church, but they're really not saved. And you could probably go to just about any church in the land and find unsaved people there. Well, this is a call to them as well. In Romans nine, twenty-one through twenty two says, Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God wanting to show his wrath and make his power known endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So there are vessels of wrath, and those vessels of wrath, the Bible says, are, are those who who are not saved and who persist in unrepentant sin. And and, and what 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 is the call for them? What's the call for them if there's a man or a woman or an adult or child who's a member of the church, but they, they, they realize, I'm not really saved? Well, in much the same way, cleanse yourself. Or rather, look to Christ for cleansing. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I've made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? You really can't cleanse yourself. But you can go to Christ this time genuinely, genuinely repenting of sin. And saying, Lord, I've, I've, been, I've been putting on an act. I've been deceiving others. I've been deceiving myself, but I'm not really saved. So save me, Lord. I repent. Cleanse me. Make me a true child of yours. And give me a home in heaven. And until that day, give me grace to be useful to you, the Master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that he took the place of his people and bore their sins to the cross and he became a vessel of wrath, not because he did anything. There was no sin in him, but he took upon him the punishment that should have fallen on his people. We thank you, Lord, and ask that you would just draw us near to the cross, that we would love you more, and we would consider it a a privilege to to serve you. And Father, if if there is anyone here gathered today that uh, is is not a child of yours, we just pray that your Holy Spirit in mercy and power would open up that man or woman or young person's heart and mind to... uh, acknowledge the truth of the gospel, and to repent and place their faith in Christ, to the saving of their souls, all to the glory of you, God, our Father. And we again pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.